Welcome to the River City Church Podcast and a message by our lead pastor, Jason Powers. Our prayer is that this message would inspire and encourage you, build your faith, and point you to the life-changing love of Jesus. May you enjoy the goodness of God as you follow him today. We begin with our confession. First uh, John 1, 9, John, who is Jesus' best friend, tells us, if you confess your sins, that he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. And he will purify us from all unrighteousness. We believe that God has a plan for our lives. He has a plan and a purpose and a calling. And as we walk into that, we will invariably screw it up. And so now the problem becomes, what do you do with that? And what Jesus has said is, if you'll just confess, if you'll acknowledge that there is a way that is right and we get off of it. He will forgive us. And not only will he forgive us looking past, but he will purify us. That's our hope as Christians. That's what this is about. If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus and you're with someone because they invited you to lunch or whatever, great, I'm glad that you're here. That's what we believe. And so we take a moment every time just to acknowledge we believe Jesus is in the room with us and we believe that his heart towards us is good and loving and kind and gracious. And so we wanna take advantage of that. Will you just have a moment of silence with me? Will you turn your eyes and your heart to the Lord? Let's do that together. Thank you, Jesus, for grace. Thank you that you have called us to follow you and you have forgiven us when we haven't done that well. Jesus, I pray that this encounter with grace, that's what forgiveness is. We come to you in Jesus and just say, without explanation or excuse, we come and we acknowledge, Father, by the things that we've done and things that we've left undone, things that we've said and things that we have left unsaid, Jesus, we ask for forgiveness. And I pray that as we receive your forgiveness, I pray that that grace would change us and transform us. And we would now, as we receive grace, become grace distributors and grace disseminators in this world in which you've placed us. So we thank you, Father, for your love, for your goodness, for your forgiveness, for your purification. And as we open your word now, I pray that you would keep us in you and with you. Lord, we ask these things in your name and for your glory. Amen. And because we believe that we've confessed and we've asked and Jesus has forgiven, this is our confession. We say together, we are badly broken. Yes, you are. Grace and peace to you. We've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and it's like this Christian manifesto, right? It's like this thing where Jesus stood up and would say, um, you know, like, hey, here's what the kingdom is like, and it's always all about the kingdom, right? The kingdom of God and his rule and his reign on earth. And underneath this whole, these three um, chapters and really kind of the whole teaching of Jesus and really our kind of entire existence and walking through this life, this faith, this Christian journey is this question, what is righteousness? What does righteousness mean? And so I just want to ask you real quick, like, what does that mean to you? Like when I say that word righteousness, what does it mean to you? Is it a scary word? Is it a word that makes you feel uncomfortable? Or is it a word that makes you excited, that gets you kind of going? What is it mean and what does it look like? Well, Jesus answers the question. Jesus deals with righteousness, with what righteousness looks like. But up to this point, kind of the counterpoint to Jesus's righteousness has really been righteousness of the Pharisees. 
right? And the Pharisees were a religious group way back in the Old Testament in Exodus. God called his people, the Israelites, the Hebrew people, he called them out of slavery. So there was this deliverance. You were in bondage and now you're free. And so they come out of slavery and they've been slaves for 400 years and they're out in the wilderness and they're like, now what do we do? And the lesson was, how do you live as God's people? What does it mean to be God's people in culture, in society, in the world? And so God gave the law. And the law basically, right, hey, don't kill each other. Don't steal from each other. Don't hate each other. Also, put God first, right? The first four of the commandments are about worship. You should have no other God before you, right? And so this is all God saying, listen, God first, Love God, love people, and as you walk through that, that's what being the people of God looks like. Now, the problem with Pharisaical religion, with Pharisee righteousness, and this is what we've been seeing up to this point is, it wasn't necessarily connected in any meaningful way to actual human thriving, right? It would be possible under Pharisaical righteousness to be righteous, to keep all the commands of the law, to do everything that the, right, that the law says, and still have like, be terrible. Listen, Matthew chapter 12, listen to this. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. Now, part of the Sabbath was one of those worship requirements, right? Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, right? Because God led you out of slavery. So remember, it's God working, not you working. Remember that. So it says they're walking through on Sabbath. There were all kinds of rules and regulations from the Pharisees about what you could and couldn't do as work on the Sabbath, okay? You could only walk so far. You could only shake, wave hands so far. All of these rules. And so Jesus is now walking on the Sabbath and what happens? His disciples were hungry. And this wasn't like, you know, I haven't had a snack in 30 minutes and I I could probably eat. They're hungry. Jesus is an itinerant preacher. They're basically nomads. They're walking around and they didn't have any food. So they're walking through a grain field. Have you ever had that where you're hungry and you walk past a, a bakery and you're like, well, now I'm dead. I might as well be because I'm starving, right? They're walking, they're starving, they're hungry, and they're literally walking through a grain field. And they began to pick some heads of grain and eat. Now, what the law said they just did is harvest. They harvested grain, and you're not allowed to harvest your grain on the Sabbath. So they are what? Lawbreakers. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to them, look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. Now, here's why that mattered. Because the most part, you just go, I don't care, except lawbreakers were excluded from the company worship. The question, if somebody were to ask a question, can a lawbreaker, a person who has broken the law, can a lawbreaker be a part of the worshiping company of Israel or are they excluded from Israel? The answer was no. You cannot transgress the law and be a part of the worshiping company of Israel. You were worshiped for a time. There was ways that you could be forgiven. But if you were a lawbreaker, you were excluded. And the Pharisees took this very seriously because here's why. First, when we talk about law, we've got to make sure that we're all talking about the same thing. When we talk about the law today, and the law kind of comes up as there's this word legalistic, right? Like you may have heard, oh, don't be a legalistic, don't be a legalist. When we talk about the law, we're not talking about, the idea of the law is not about some general idea of goodness, some general idea of morality, which is generally, I think, how we 
kind of, because we get the law is what, right? When the first century Jews thought about the law, they weren't thinking about ambiguous moral goodness. They were thinking about specific, intentional, deliberate, clearly articulated rules from the law of Moses. Righteousness, are you listening? Righteousness is about covenant. The covenant was where God came down and said, he said to Abraham, I'm gonna make a law, I'm gonna make a family out of you and I'm gonna do it and that's the promise and that's what it is, that's a covenant. Then he came to Moses when he led him out and said, you go up and I'm gonna give you my law and that's the covenant as well. And so the Jewish people, the Hebrew people, they were made to be law keepers, right? And, the, and so here's why, here's the covenant. Deuteronomy chapter 30, listen, verse 15. This is Moses about to watch the people of Israel enter the promised land without him. And they've had the law and they've been learning about it. And listen to what Moses says from God. See, I said before you today, life and prosperity, death and destruction. It's a choice. Life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, and to keep his commands. So what are the commands? It's the Ten Commandments. It's the ceremonial law. It's a lot. It was a big deal. And he says, keep the commands. And listen, are you ready? Then, okay, if you keep the laws and the commands, then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. That's the covenant. God told, I'm going to give you Israelites a nation, a place, a plot of land, boundaries and borders and all of that. If you obey the law, that's the covenant. But he goes on. But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess, okay? So this is the covenant. For the Jewish people, the Pharisees in the first century believed that the reason Rome was still on holy land property was because they had not kept the law. And so for the Pharisees, their whole reason for being was to identify and exclude every lawbreaker from the company of Israel because when that happened, Messiah would come. And when Messiah came, what Messiah was going to do is chase the Romans out and all of a sudden Israel would have her land back, which she would have her country back. She would be back where she intended to be. See, the covenant was a big deal to the Jewish people. And they believed that law keeping was the deal. Now, sometimes if we're not careful, we can extend that purpose to the church and believe that the church's role and responsibility is like the Pharisees, to identify every sinful behavior and exclude those who participate in that behavior so that we can then somehow be righteousness, so that we can somehow please God. If we can just get all the bad people who do bad things out of our presence, then we will be okay. But Jesus came and said something different. In Matthew chapter five, right? Verse 17, he says this, Jesus says, don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now, what does fulfill mean? We'll get to that. Because a couple verses down, he says, I tell you that unless your righteousness, remember, 
Righteousness, covenant. Okay, righteousness, unless your righteousness, unless your covenant, unless your agreement surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven, right? So here's Jesus, right, a good Jewish boy, and he says, hey, listen, unless your righteousness, I've come to fulfill it, and now we've got to surpass it, and we've got to get away. What does it mean to fulfill and pass? Did it mean erase? Did Jesus came and say, I've erased the law. You can now do whatever you want. Now there is no such thing as good and bad. There's no such thing as right and wrong. There's no such thing as just and unjust. Well, next week we're going to look at Jesus tells us to evaluate a tree by their fruit. So it can't mean that everything is okay. What I think Jesus is going to do, and he's going to show us, and I think we're going to see this. At the end of the day, when Jesus says, I came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it unless your righteousness surpasses. What Jesus is doing is he's giving his life. He's showing us that Jesus' life is an absolute expression of the law's intent. Jesus' life is an absolute expression of the law's intent. Here's what that means. It means, are you listening? It means that you do not get to trump Jesus with Leviticus. It means you do not get to stand and go, yeah, I know Jesus said that, but in Leviticus it says this. Jesus came and said that. We don't get to trump Jesus with Paul. Oh, well, in Corinthians it says this, and I know Jesus said this, but in Corinthians it says this. Jesus is the king. His life is what it makes it. And so when he said to fulfill the law, what did that mean? I'm about to do an experiment. Are you ready? Now I'm going to talk to iPhone users, right, just because we're superior in most ways, right, until I'm just kidding. It's because I have an iPhone, right? I understand that. So let me say this. How many of you, I need to see like high hands. Okay, good participation. Who in here has an iPhone 13, right? Is that the newest one? Hey, oh, look at you. Yeah, tech nerds. I love you. That's right. Good. Okay. How many of you, let's go. How many of you have an iPhone 10, iPhone X, right? When it, you remember when iPhone X came out and it was so good? My kids were so jealous with the cameras and all that. Now we're getting, now I'm going to get up in your business. Are you ready? How many of you have an iPhone 8? Or older, somebody, yes, John Goodwin, my friend. Look, all of you, yes. You know, what I'm going to say it's interesting is all the people with iPhone 8 or older are people of a certain age. You might know this, right? I get, that. I get this. Here's the thing with John Goodwin's iPhone 2, right, that John uses on his thing. Right? I'm assuming it still makes phone calls. I'm assuming it still texts. You can still get on the internet, right? It probably doesn't have like the cow eye emojis, right? And the talking things, right? That was go. Here's the idea. When Jesus talks about fulfilled, think in terms of obsolete. Does it mean that John no longer has an iPhone? No, it doesn't. It means that there's something better, faster, newer, more stuff different and unique. He's welcome to keep doing what he's, what he's doing, but he just won't have access to all of the big thing. When Jesus talks about the law being fulfilled, that's what he's pointing at. That's what he's talking to. And so when we ask the Christian, like the Jewish people, right, can a lawbreaker be part of the company of Israel? When we as Christians ask the question, can a person who does this, who does this thing, can they be a Christian? When we answer that with no, we have missed the point of the law. In the Old Testament, the law was God's way of identifying who his people are. People that, that don't eat 
pork are his people. People that don't break the Sabbath are his people. But Jesus has now called us to something that surpasses that. Because what the law did was excluded. It built walls, right? On that side of the wall, you don't get in. On this side of the wall, you do get in. But we find Jesus talking about righteousness and talking about the kingdom. And what does he do? He's walking around grabbing a hold of ragamuffins. He's talking, walking around grabbing a hold of people who had been excluded, who the law has pushed aside, who the law had devalued. And Jesus comes and says, the kingdom has come to you. This is the new righteousness. This is the new thing. And it is not anarchy. There are some here who are just like, we can do what we want. The idea is not there are no rules. The idea is there's a different standard. Righteousness means something different. Righteousness looks like a rabbi walking through a cornfield, not starving his followers so that they don't eat corn on Sunday. It's Jesus healing a man on the Sabbath, even though the law forbid it and condemned it. So here's what I want to say to you. If you're here today and you feel like God can't or won't accept you because of something that you've done, what I want to tell you is that's old covenant. I want to say if you're in here today and you think there is somebody that you know who is excluded who cannot be touched, cannot be reached by God because of this behavior or that behavior. What I wanna say is that's old covenant. Here's my concern for me as a church. My concern is that as a church, our programs, our, our actions, the way that we move, rather than making us like Jesus, makes us like Pharisees. And when we make the law some re religious requirement to access God, we miss it. And Jesus came and said, that's the old way of doing things. That's for Israelites. And by the way, it didn't work for the Israelites either. Because they broke the law. And what's more, well, let me finish. I'm all over the place, right? If you feel like God can or won't accept you because of what you've done, or if you feel like you cannot accept others or love others because of what they have done, I'm going to tell you that's not the case. My hope is, my confidence, my belief biblically, and I'm about to show you is that Jesus, when we talk about following Jesus, right? If you've ever heard about following Jesus and you thought it meant give up everything and be terrible and hateful and all that, right? My belief and my conviction, I'm going to show you in the scripture, is that Jesus calls us into a post-condemnation reality with him and in him. It doesn't say that there's no judgment, he says we're on the backside of a, a post-condemnation reality. And you can sit there and you just go, no, that's not true. I like, listen, look, for 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 says this. Oh, I should get there. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 says this. For we must all, are you ready? For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And you're like, you just said, listen. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due for us for the things they've done while in the body, whether good or bad. I just want to pause right there and just want to say there is nobody who is exempt from this. There is nobody who will not. Listen, I love you. You're not, I love you. This is true whether you believe it or not. And my concern is what are you willing to wager? 
eternity, because those are the stakes. You will stand before God in all of his righteousness. And what we're told is we may receive what is due for us, whether good or bad. And so you're like, you just said post-condemnation. Right. What I'm talking about here is judgment. So now let's go to Romans 8, verse 1, that says, for there is now therefore what? Say, I say that loud. This is good news. You should memorize that. There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Here's what that means. There's this phrase, right, that has shown up a lot. In Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, are we walking with him? Is his spirit in us? Is he leading and guiding us? Because if he is in us, we will stand before Christ and we will be accountable for our actions and he will go, but the judgment will be, that didn't help you get where I was calling you. I wanted you to be a healer of the nations and you wouldn't because you were selfish. I wanted you to have a marriage that the entire neighborhood would look at and go, that's amazing. What do they have that I don't have? And you, I wanted you to say, Jesus. But instead, you were cranky about your lawn on the HOA. Jesus says, I had plans and big, but we, you chose not. What judgment won't do is say, you weren't good enough, go to hell. There will be judgment without condemnation. Listen, our behavior matters. Our behavior matters significantly, but maybe not in the way that we think. Because if we are looking to the law to help us keep some people out, that law is obsolete. And if you want to erect, Paul talks about erecting walls. If you want to build that wall again that comes that keeps some people out and lets some people in, I have to say you will be on the outside. Because it because if it's about keeping the law, we all we all fail. And you know why? Because Jesus said, don't kill and don't harbor contempt in your heart. Right? That's that's the law. Jesus said, "This when we took communion, this is my body, which is for you. Do this, broken, in remembrance of me. Are you following all of Jesus's purity laws and you're really concerned about people who aren't following Jesus's purity laws and you feel like there's sin out there and you just go, Jesus, help me do what you did. Help me erase the sin of my people like you did. Great. I hope that you do pray that prayer because what Jesus did was said, my body is for you. This is my blood. Now you can't die for anybody's sin, but if you're bothered by sin, the solution is sacrifice. The solution is love. The solution is grace. The solution is absolutely and under, and unconditionally giving yourself. The problem isn't judgment. The problem is condemnation. Now, Paul said those things and that's good. But if Jesus said something different, we have to lose Paul, right? If there's only one, good news is they both basically say the same thing. Jesus in Matthew 7 says this, do not judge or you too will be judged. So that's the question. What kind of judgment do we want? And he goes on, for in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. And if some are in here and you're going, yeah, that's fine, yeah, that's good. Eesh. That's going to be an uncomfortable day. Because again, anger. Oh, I haven't killed anybody, but if you harbored anger, 
If you have harbored enemies, if you have justified keeping of enemies, you have broken the law. Oh, I've never had, I never cheated on my wife. If you have dabbled or addicted or pornography or sexual fantasies, you are a transgressor. You have broken the law. If you have said their lies are worse than our lies, our people lie, but their people lie worse. And the only reason we lie is because they lie and it's all about lies. You're a transgressor. If lying is breaks the law, if lying is against the rules, then all lying is against the rules. So what Jesus does is condemn a spirit of judgment. Jesus condemns people that walk around and based on the external keeping of the law, where they eat their food and how they wash their hands and what they do with their parts and all the things, Jesus condemns condemnation. So the question for us is, what are you like? How does this like? Do you walk around? Do you see the worst in others? Yeah, they're nice. That shirt was ugly. Whoa, bro, that's hard, right? Are you a fault finder? Are you quick to see the deficiencies in others? Are you quick to point out where others have fallen short? Are you the kind of person that takes one bad day, one thing that a person does, one behavior, one word, one thing, and now you extrapolate that to be their whole life? Oh, they said that one thing. They must be a terrible person. Do you forget that you one day will be judged as well? If we forget, if we forget, we are on the road to Pharisaism quickly. The rabbis used to ask in judgment, because this would come up, right? They're talking about, you got the law. They would ask, what is, what's the measure? How to do it? And the rabbis would ask, choose your scale. Do you want to measure your deeds on the scale of justice or on the scale of mercy? And this is the question. Remembering that you're not the ultimate judge. Remembering that you're not the final judge, that there will be another judge who comes after you, right? So which one do you want? And we have to choose wisely because here, listen, this is good. I'm going to read you Romans chapter 2. And I just want you to make a note. As I read this, as I read this, what this says, you should go back and read what Romans chapter 1 talks about and all the things that are listed in there. Because what Paul in Romans 2 verse 1 says is, you therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, you don't have any excuse, right? And listen to his reason. Uh, for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now, we know that God's judgment against those who do such thing is based on truth. What Paul is saying is, you're not God. Now, surely God is just and right and good and able to discern and judge perfectly. You're not that. Now, we know that God is good, right? So when you, a mere human, pass judgment and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape judgment? And so, and I get it. I know, I know, I really do. But if when we hear about judgment on sin and it makes us happy, we don't know what we're talking about. Because if we are eager about the judgment of sin, we are eager about that on us. It probably means we don't understand the severity and the implication. If we are not crying out 
for mercy for ourselves we don't understand. And if we're crying out for mercy for me, but judgment for you, we also don't get it and we don't understand. And so Jesus is saying, just be careful. Just don't judge. And Paul in Romans chapter two is saying, listen, if you judge, judgment with the idea of condemnation, right? If you, that's your role and that's your goal, you've missed it. You don't get it. See, that's what pharisaical judgment does. Pharisaical judgment says, write everything down, pros, cons, here's the scale, guilty, not, get, not guilty. What pharisaical judgment lacks is spiritual generosity. Being generous with our view and our understanding of others. See, ungenerous judgment deals in condemnation. And here's what condemnation is. We've been running this. Condemnation says, I am 100% certain that God cannot or will not intervene in this. For example, when we say, I believe that God cannot or will not bring justice to those who have hurt me or wounded me. God cannot or will not bring justice. Therefore, I will take action myself. That's what condemnation. When you hurt me and I strike back, that's condemnation. I condemn your behavior and I don't believe that God will take action. Therefore, I will take action. You know, I love you because I'm about to say something that might impact some people here. Are you ready? Divorce is condemnation. Now, let me say very quickly, very quickly, very clearly. If you're in a physically abusive situation, please get out. Please move, get your stuff and get to a safe place. Jesus did not create you to be a punching bag, I promise you. But, well, she just keeps the air conditioner too hot and she won't feed the dog and she's a slob and she was mean to me and all that stuff. Listen, what condemnation, what divorce says is, God cannot and will not, 100% cannot and will not change my spouse or change me. Therefore, I'm out. Condemnation says the lies of the other side are so heinous and egregious that I must also tell lies so that we can finally be on even playing ground. But spiritual generosity believes that God will, believes that God can. What spiritual generosity says is that God's not done working on my spouse. God's not done working on me. Therefore, I will humble myself and I'll do what scripture says in, in Ephesians chapter five, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Spiritual generosity says God can change my spouse. God can change or help me communicate. So I'm gonna submit and I'm gonna love and I'm gonna serve and I'm going to care for my spouse. Spiritual generosity says dishonesty is wrong. And one of the worst things about the people on the other side is that they're dishonest in their statements. So I, however, I'm going to forgive and I'm gonna pursue them, pursue them because that's what Jesus does. All these parables about Jesus, right? Talks about the prodigal son running after the father was come back. Jesus talks about 99 sheep and Jesus leaves one. And you're like, that's terrible math, Jesus. And the point being, Jesus loves all of the sheep, even the ones that aren't here yet. And so if we take a position based on behavior or, or something that, and just say, can't be in here, you can't get in here if you're like that. We are basically saying that sheep that Jesus is chasing can go to hell. I don't care about that sheep. I only care about this sheep. And Jesus is, says, great, 
You stay there with your sheep. I'm gonna be somewhere else. Here's the problem. We cannot be in Jesus if Jesus is somewhere else. If Jesus is chasing and forgiving and redeeming people, and we are judging and condemning and criticizing people, however religious our judgments may be, they are not Jesus's judgments. That's fun, isn't it? It's a fun talk we're having, it's good. So how do we live in that tension? How do we live in a world that is oftentimes unflinchingly antithetical to our message? How do we live in the tension between law and grace? Do we let culture decide? Do we let culture now tell us, no, no, that belief is archaic. It doesn't work anymore. You can't do that. No, because listen, culture is always changing. And our righteousness is not based on some arbitrary moral standard. Our righteousness is based on Jesus, a person who was and is and lives forever and actually had behaviors. Righteousness is fidelity to the covenant of Jesus, where he gave himself for us, where he laid down his life, and he said, go and do likewise. The old law isn't it. You know what the new law is? Love God, love your neighbors, do that, and the law and the prophets are fulfilled. I love that phrase, right? The law and the prophets are fulfilled. Do you know why? Because I'm not smart enough to remember 740 tenets of the law. Love, good, got it, I'm ready. Now I can run out into the world and just go do that. And it's not that simple because love is not, you know, touchy-feely and right. And it's, it's not a John Cusack movie, right? <laughs> love is fierce and it is ferocious and it gives itself and it loves and it fights and it bleeds and it cares and it serves. And that's what Jesus did for us. Now, if I just say, oh, I don't like what you did. I don't like what you stand for over there. Jesus, as Rome was nailing nails into his wrists, said, forgive them. And not only did he forgive them, he said, they don't know what they're doing. I'm just like, sure, it looks like they know what they're doing. <laughs> Seems pretty intentional to me. Jesus had a more gracious perspective on the human spirit than I do. That's hard. That's hard to wrestle with. But all I can see is Jesus calling me and us to something different. So how do we do that? Well, kingdom discernment begins with self-examination. If you want to know how to, in this world, how to talk well about sin, how to talk well about righteousness, how to invite people into the story, the way to do that begins with self-examination. Here's how Jesus explains it. Are you ready? Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? So now we have two people and we're talking about specks and planks. Notice what it does not say. It does not say that your brother doesn't have anything in their eye. It doesn't say there is no such thing as a transgression. The sins of my brother are real and they are authentic, right? Also, the giant log in my eye is also real. Verse four, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your own eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So there's a process here. So there's an order. Now I want you to think this is my friend David here. And if I can imagine that David has a speck in his eye and I look at him and I'm like, oh my gosh, David's got a speck in his eye. I've got to help it. But I've got like an eight foot, 
yellow pine beam, right? As I come rushing up to David to help him get the speck out of his eye, I hear a sound over my head. I turn my head and I just crush David with my board, right? Boom. Oh my gosh. How am I going to get the speck? I can't get close enough. Every time I get close, right, my board. This is how it begins. I can't get to his without killing him unless I go and set it down. And this is no general, Jesus, please forgive me. I have to sit down and wrestle and go, that speck in my friend's eye is making me mad. I don't even like him that much. I just want the freaking speck because I don't want to have to think that people with specks in their eyes are coming in here. How can that guy be? That's not it. We need to just be like, he's got a speck, I've got a log. Maybe everybody in this room, maybe the thing that brings us together isn't how love, is, I mean, is how love we are by Jesus. Maybe one of the things that we all have in common is we're all here unable to see because we got stuff in our eyes. The distinction isn't people who have stuff in their eyes and people who don't have stuff in their eyes. The distinction is people who are willing to take things out of their own eyes first. And notice what he said for those who are like ready to just get rid of the whole law and the rules and everything. Taking the speck out of our eye, it doesn't change our opinion of the speck. It changes the opinion of my brother. I need a generous perspective of my brother and my sister and my friends and everyone. And that's what Jesus is calling us to. Do you have a generally positive disposition towards the human race? Are we concerned about, are we concerned about all sins or just other people's sins? Just people who sin differently from us. Because what happens is when we take this plank and we set it down here and we realize, oh my gosh, I think Jesus really just forgave me. Like, I think that thing really was a sin. The way that I talk to my wife, the way I talk to my kids, the way I behave at my job, the way I spend my money, the way I do it, all of those things, those really, I really did receive grace. See, what happens is receiving grace has this unbelievable ability to turn us into grace givers because now we have stores of it, right? Grace has been given to me. Now I can give grace away. And that's the idea. And we, in order to do that, we have to discern well. Here's a difficult, a difficult passage, right? Do not give dogs what is sacred, do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. I have a dog, Remus. He's a big dog. He's great. Eats everything, right? All the time, right? So I had this the other day. I actually saw my daughter, Madison, had a little necklace. It had a little pearl, right? A little plastic, little fake plastic pearl, right? And I took this fake plastic pearl and I said, hey, Remus, come here. Do you want a treat? And of course, right? He's running to get it. And he's like, and he eats it and gone. And you know what he did after that? fell out on the floor because dogs aren't created to eat pearls. His, his constitution can't handle it. If you're a pig farmer and you walk out into the pigsty every day with a handful of pearls, you go, dinner time. Do you know what the pigs are going to do at first? They're going to root at it and they're going to look and they're going to look at you for something else. But if you just keep standing there, handing pearls to them, they're going to get hungry and they're going to want food and they're going to get mad at you for not having it. And they're going to turn on you. Listen, not everybody is ready at all times to receive your word about their sin. Be discerning. What I'm saying is, if it's not the right time, then it's not the right time. And that's okay. You are not condoning sin by not telling everybody what you think about their behavior. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus didn't do that at all. And it's okay for us. I promise you, you'll know when people are seeking Jesus. And when they are, 
Give him to them. All of it. But I don't care how valuable your truth about Jesus is, and it is valuable. It is the most valuable news that there is. A person who's not ready, you're better to just love them. That's what Jesus did. Did Jesus wake up every day with his disciples and go, good morning, Peter, you're unfaithful and you're brash and you're terrible and you don't treat your wife nice and you're mean to Matthew. Have a good day. Matthew, also you are terrible, right? No, that's not Jesus. Jesus just walks with them and as stuff comes up, Jesus goes, Peter, don't do that. And Peter doesn't get it. And then when it's all said and done, Peter, Jesus is like, Peter, read it. John 21, Peter, do you love me? Yes. Did Jesus then say, wash your hands, do the good, don't that? No, he just said, hey, listen, feed my people, feed the sheep. And Peter got it. Never again did Peter deny Jesus because grace is powerful and grace works. So we don't get to not talk about sin because sin kills us. Sin destroys the world that Jesus came to create. But the question is, how do we do it well? Because Jesus talked about sin. How do we do it? Well, the secret to that is coming to terms with the idea that prayer is more powerful than we think. Listen, Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Now, the interesting thing about those verbs in the Greek, ask, seek, and knock, they are in this, and I forget the, I forget the, um, the word for it, but the idea is they're ongoing. Ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. And so this is how we do it. If you want to make a change in people's lives, is there somebody in your life that has a sin problem that you're worried about? Ask. Ask God to prepare their heart and your heart. Ask God to remove any anger from your heart before you talk to them. Ask God to prepare them to hear and to see and to receive. Ask God to be working in them. Seek. Seek the good of the person that you're praying for. Make sure that they know that you love them, that you are there for them and knock. Knock on the door of their heart. And wait for them to invite you in. And wait for them to invite you to speak life into them. And then when they do, do it. And tell them, say, hey, I'm concerned for you. But if we're not concerned for them, they don't care. They don't care. People who hate me care what you think. Ask and seek and knock. And here's why. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do for you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? My concern is that we don't pray nearly enough for the people that we want to fix. We pray for us. I pray for me, for my provision. I pray for my food. I pray for my stuff. I'll even pray for my sins, but I don't often pray for the people who I want to see receive it. I don't have a burden for the people. My concern is that Jesus has burdens. That person whose sin really bothers you, that person whose sin is really an affront to you, the reason we pray is because you need Jesus's heart for that person. Because however repulsive their sin is to you, your sin is at least that repulsive to Jesus because he's way holier than you are. He is way more righteous and faithful than you are. So what's the scale? 
Because what I find in Jesus is a God who loves, a God who heals, a God who changes us, who calls us to have discernment, to understand that not all behavior is created equal, that not all behavior leads us to human flourishing like we need, but to follow him in that. To begin with self-examination, to go home and just go, okay, Lord, where's it not working? Are your finances broken? Are your finances a constant source of struggle and stress for you? There may be sin there that you need to look at. That may be an idol for you. What is it? Your spouse, your relationship? What is it? Begin where things are broken down. Begin asking God, God, show me my sin in this. That feels scary. That feels terrible. Like, why would I ever do that? I just want to talk about other people's sins, right? You know, that's why we begin with badly broken, deeply loved, because when you confess your sins, you know that you are receiving love from him. That's his desire for you, that you would know and walk in his love. Let's pray. Jesus, I ask that you would make us your people. And this is hard. I, a long time ago, I was Dr. Condemnation. And I feel like, Father, sometimes I maybe swing to the other side. Forgive me. I don't want to make light of the things that destroy your people. I don't want to make light of the things that destroy me. I don't want to make light of the things that destroy your kingdom. And so, Jesus, I ask for grace and peace. I ask that you would forgive me. I ask that you would forgive us. And I pray that you would make us a righteous congregation, not attaining to some unattainable moral standard, but living within the confines of the covenant to love our God and to love our neighbors well. Jesus, I pray that you would help us with that today. And I pray for anybody in here who's never followed you before. Maybe they've never heard that you didn't come to condemn them. Maybe they've never heard that you didn't come to just judge them and be mad at them, but that you came to love them and give them life. And today they want that. They want that forgiveness, that grace. I pray that they would just today ask that. Jesus, will you forgive me and save me? And if that's you in the room today, pray this prayer with me. Jesus, forgive me, save me. Give me your spirit and lead me into eternal life. Scripture says he'll come, he'll do that. He'll give you a new spirit and he'll make you new. So Jesus, we thank you for all your love and all the ways that you love us. We ask all these things in your name and for your glory. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. River City Church is all about experiencing and expressing God's love in our lives and community. And we hope that you've been able to experience that today. As grateful as I am that you've spent this time listening in this morning, this podcast is no substitute for full participation in a local church. I love it when River City people listen to other pastors, but it is those who show up week after week, faithfully giving their support and time and resources that make all of this possible. If we can help you get connected to a local church, pray for you, or support you in any way, click the link in the description and let us know. If you'd like to financially support the ministry of River City, click the Give link on our website in the description. Don't forget to subscribe and don't forget to share this with your friends. Thanks so much for listening. May the Lord bless and keep you in all grace and peace.